The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? The point is is that you need to take action and have somebody who's willing to take you to those places and be the guardrails. Because you can go really deep really fast, but that might be too much for you. And that could actually cause you to retreat from the work altogether. So what you want is to go into some of those memories and that that pain and that shame that you're carrying from your past in a way that feels safe and at a pace that feels gentle enough that you can handle it and that your body has time to integrate a new way of being. Right? If your nervous system is really traumatized, which mine has been, it takes a long time to rewire the nervous system to feel safe. It doesn't matter if you're actually safe. Your nervous system is wired to defend, right? So that takes time. That was a quick clip from this week's episode. Hi, fam. Hi, community. How are you guys? I would love to hear from you. I don't know if you guys are in the Facebook group or if you feel comfortable DMing me or you're joining our weekly live um, sober Zoom calls or you're in the Life Reset course. I would love to hear what is going on with you guys and where you guys are at. I know that for me personally, this is certainly getting... A little bit more challenging as the weeks go by. I'm at the same time really impressed with how resilient I am, but you know, I don't see that as some like badge of honor. It's just kind of, you know, I feel like I'm in a test period right now where all of my spiritual practices and the tools that I've gained over the last nine years of my recovery are really being put to the test. So this week, we have a really special guest. I don't know if you guys know of the Instagram account, Rising Woman, but it has like 1.6 million followers. And I'm a huge fan of it. In the last couple of years, I've really started to become really selective with the accounts that I follow and which ones I see on my timeline. And I get so much value from this account. So... The woman behind it, and I hope I'm not butchering her name right now, Shayliana, Shayliana Ayana is joining us on the podcast today. And I'm so, so, so excited for you guys to hear this episode. We're diving into a plethora of topics, everything from what it's like to rise out of your personal darkness, out of that trauma, out of that pain. We're talking about healing from sexual trauma. We're talking about spiritual bypass. We're talking about finding our guides that you know, take us through these paths. Because as much as I advocate for you to become your own guru, 
At the same time, you do need a sounding board. You do need someone to guide you in the beginning to get you past the, in quotes, ego and into that clarity and that peace like Uta was for me and and so many other incredible healers on my journey that really allowed me to step into this person that I am today that, you know, really is her own inner guide. And that's what my life reset course is all about. And if you guys aren't aware, I dropped the price to $39 a month and it is absolutely epic. It's honestly like my pride and joy. I am as proud of it as I am my book, which is saying a lot. And of course, this podcast too. Um, At one point in this podcast, we did get cut off for a minute, which I was really kind of bummed about. But we were sharing about what it's like to be vulnerable on social media. Some of it got saved. I mean, may the Zoom gods forever be in my favor. I don't know. Podcasting from home is certainly a different experience than podcasting in the beautiful Dear Media Studios. So with that, here's this week's episode. And thanks for joining me on this ride. Every single time that I see you guys share that you loved an episode, it just means so much to me. And I'm grateful that you're all here during this challenging time, still in the work. And you guys should give yourselves a pat on the back for being here and doing this for you too. All right. With that, here's this week's episode. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Talkspace. Don't hit the fast forward button because this is really important. I can't tell you how many DMs I'm getting right now about people who are feeling super anxious and lonely during this time. Being home so much, especially during a crisis like this, can be a breeding ground for anxiety. Without the stability of our normal daily routine, the mind can fill with worst case scenarios, what ifs, and worries. You feel lonely but you are not alone. We're all adjusting to this new normal. For Mental Health Awareness Month, Talkspace Online Therapy is more committed now than ever to expanding access to support anyone who is struggling. With Talkspace, you get the support of a licensed therapist from the safety of your own home and can reach out from your device whenever something is on your mind. You can send your therapist text, audio, picture, or video messages from your phone or computer 24-7 as much as you need to. Everything happens within Talkspace's secure platform, all on your schedule. Talkspace matches you with a licensed therapist based on your needs and preferences. They have thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, and relationship issues. Once you're matched, you can begin therapy that same day. The bottom line is you deserve the support and don't have to struggle on your own. Your Talkspace therapist can be your dedicated support system. They're there to help you feel healthier and more empowered, even in these uncertain circumstances. As a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month on Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use code Alexis25 to get $100 off your first month and show support for the show. 
That's Alexis25 at Talkspace.com. Hi, guys. My name is Sarah Nicole, and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays. Subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the Birds Papaya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. So I think to begin, in order to understand how Rising Woman came about, we have to learn more about the woman who rose, right? The woman where where you came from, your background, and how you've created such an incredible community as a result. When I was really little, my mom struggled with mental illness and um, major depression and addiction as well. And so probably around the age of two years old, I started to be home alone a lot when she would go out drinking. Um, She would come home and there would be just a lot of outbursts. And I remember covering her up with a blanket in the bathroom while she was on the bathroom floor, you know, puking every night. And she was really, really sick. And in addition to that, my mom had so much childhood trauma herself. So I can remember her waking me up in the middle of the night crying and then holding me and telling me her traumatic stories from childhood when I was really, really little. So we sort of formed what I call now like the cult of two, like this codependent bond where very early on, I learned that I needed to be strong and that I needed to take care of her. Uh, And also there was sort of like a lack of trust in her as a, a caretaker for me. I felt more like the caretaker for her. And so uh, in that phase of my life, I went in and out of foster homes. And uh, then when I was about 12, I became what they call ward of the government. So that's the legal term for when the government takes full custody over a child and then puts them into the foster system. And then at age 16, I moved out on my own and sort of began my independent journey. In between all of that, I did run with street kids who were in and out of jail. And uh, I did a lot of drugs of all kinds. I had my own addictions that I went in and out with, with different drugs, um, which were all just ways for me to sort of mask the pain and to cope. Um, I had a stint where I was quite addicted to meth um, when I was 14. And so I just had kind of a crazy life before the age of 19. So by the time I was 19, I was almost not drinking anymore. I wasn't doing drugs. I felt like I had sort of already lived a full life. And you know, when I was like coming into this new phase where I wanted to do something, do something with my life, but I just didn't know quite what that was. And I wanted to get out of the town that I was in. And so I met a guy and he was everything on you know, the external that I thought uh, would would rescue me from this current state of life that I was in. And so that ended up being a real awakening too, because it was a very abusive relationship. It turned abusive really quickly. And then from there, I went through a, a phase where I thought that I was healing just because I was 
you know, working with crystals and learning about chakras. And I hadn't really done any childhood trauma healing work at all. I just thought I'm fine. I just got over it. And then I met somebody and we ended up getting married. He was from a different country. And that relationship blew up in my face. There was a lot of deep betrayal, like from from every angle, like every type of way you could betray somebody in the end of a relationship, that's what happened. And as painful as it was, it was really the catalyst for this now, because I had had the idea to build something for women for many years prior. I had been writing since I was three, always loved writing poetry, always loved psychology, but it wasn't until that betrayal where all of a sudden I was slammed with every single feeling of loss and betrayal and abandonment that I had never dealt with. And that catalyzed me to really go deep onto my own healing path. And it was as I was coming out of that, that I began to really feel the fire for rising woman coming through. Cause I had been sitting on the domain and the, the idea for years before, but it just never felt quite right. And as I went through that transformation, felt like a tunnel of grief, that's when I was really ready. So I felt almost as though I had to be prepared to do this in a really responsible way. So that's sort of how it came to be. It came through a lot of trial and heartbreak and pain and um, me learning about myself and about the depths of the healing journey for what it means to be human and wanting to just support others with that along the way. I'm kind of in awe right now because I didn't know any of your story before we sat down. I actually rarely ever um, know the background of many of my guests because I just like to hear it like fresh, you know, input. And it's almost as if we've lived like dual lives. Um, So I want to go back to the parts that really stood out that were my personal experience too and dissect if you're okay with that you spoke about how your mom had very little boundaries and how when you were very young, she would share the traumas that she went through. And I remember being, I must've been maybe six or seven. And my mom enrolled me in a rape self-defense class with these men in full like outfits, like armored up that would lay on top of you and put like knives to your head and guns to your head. And you'd have to like fight for your life at like six or seven years old. And there was just always this very, there was just no boundaries. Like I was expected to be the adult very young. Um, My father and her separated when I was three And I just remember hearing all about their struggles and witnessing the fights and just knowing that she had been sexually abused as a child. And, you know, and I think that she was just really in so much pain, she needed someone to talk to. And I also think that she somehow thought that she was protecting me just by being like, very vocal about um, her experience. But it didn't end up helping me. I ended up being raped in my home around age five, it started. Mm-hmm. And it never that I never had the words or the tools to like protect myself, you know. And now as a parent, I can't even imagine sharing those things with my daughters who are three and six years old. Mm-hmm. I just can't even imagine. And so when we start to really you said that you got into 
crystal healing and sound bath and things like that. Um, that I think a lot of people are navigating towards right now in this world, but I talk a lot about spiritual bypass and how those things are great. But if you don't deal with the childhood trauma, they're just band-aids. And so the subconscious belief systems that I received growing up that carried out long into my sobriety eventually when I was 19, I got sober. It controlled every aspect of my life. And I, I think we can't brush that off, that those boundaries, like as a parent, your children, sure, will see you emotional and fight and all of that's fine, but there's definitely a space where it's like, this is not fine anymore. There is a line and it's very clear to me now as a parent. Yeah. And I mean, when I look at where my mom came from and it sounds like where your mom came from, a lot of our parents really just never had boundaries modeled for them. They never had the tools and they didn't emotionally mature, right? They were never given that opportunity. And so what we know is that when we're deeply traumatized, we pass that on. And when our children reach the age where we started to endure trauma, that will trigger the undealt trauma within our bodies. And so, you know, I've had many conversations with her over the last few years as she's watched me on this healing journey and been curious and you know, she's shared with me what her reality was. And she really was just like a child. She didn't have any idea. She had no idea about boundaries. She had no idea that when I had a tantrum at three years old, that it wasn't about her. You know, like she described to me, we were driving in the car. I flew her out in the spring last year. And all of a sudden she started telling me this story about how when we were two, she remembers this really big fight we got into. And I said, oh, tell me more about that. What do you mean we got into a fight? I was two years old. How, how did we get into a fight? And she said, oh, well, we were screaming and yelling at each other. And we were both so mad. And I said, interesting that you felt like you were having a fight with me when I was having a tantrum. What was that about for you? And she said that she thought that, you know, I was upset because of her and that it was she did something wrong. And so then we had this conversation and I said to her, do you realize that when a child's brain is developing, you know, tantrums are because all of these brainwaves are firing all at the same time and they're having all of these big emotions at once and they don't know how to deal with it. So as a parent, your job is to hold space for them to feel the feelings and just help them learn how to communicate their big feelings. And she said, I had no idea. She said, can you teach me how to feel my big feelings? Because the thing is like, And I talk about the brain development often because if we're dealing with healing from a holistic approach, we can't not talk about the brain. Um, My mom, it's so clear to me up until, you know, six or seven years ago was just always operating out of her limbic brain. And so was I until I got sober um, almost a decade ago. And we developed the prefrontal cortex, the parent in the room, the decision maker, around age 10 and we don't it doesn't stop developing until 28 but it actually doesn't develop properly unless we have a loving supportive environment to grow up in where people guide us you know and show us how to use that prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. and so it's definitely interesting 
you know, I think I deal with a lot of people who um, have deep resentments towards their parents and I totally been there and healing is not excusing the behavior, but it's just trying to come to a place of empathy for where they were at too. And I can clearly see how both my mom and my dad did not know how to operate in a way that, you know, where they could think things through and be rational people. They just didn't have that capability. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think it's important that we remember that piece, right? That healing doesn't mean excusing the behavior. And at the same time, when I think about forgiveness and compassion, what that allows me to do is step outside of this idea that their behavior meant something about me that, you know, they did that because I'm not good enough or that they weren't there for me because I was bad or that there was just something shameful or wrong about me. But when I switch the narrative to, you know, she was doing the best that she could with what she had. And that was not that much. Right. And it's just amazing when I split the archetypes of, okay, this is mother mother owes me something because mother has a very specific role to play in my life. Right. And so then there's woman, there's just this woman on her journey who she doesn't owe me anything. She's dealing with her own trauma. She's just fighting for her life essentially. And so I was able to sort of split that in two and how I see her and recognize, okay, she's never able to play that full role for me. She wasn't able to be that archetype. And so I can just let that go now. And I can just see her for who she is and see the gift that she's given me, which is this life. And that is all. And appreciate that she's, you know, really suffered in her life and be grateful. That's it. And that goes back to the subconscious belief systems that we develop because as a result of the product of the environment that we grew up in, we develop these belief systems you know, that we're unworthy, that we're unlovable, that nobody cares for us, that the world is a scary place, that my body's not my own, whatever it might be. And we get to this point where we feel this calling and I don't want to jump through your story because I want to dissect it a bit more, but where we feel this calling to do the work and we kind of have to wake up to the reality that it is our responsibility to heal ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and to take an honest and good look at the way that we've contributed to others suffering as a result of our undealt with work and, and how to move forward and to start that healing path. So what did that really look like for you? Because you had mentioned you were doing more of the surface level stuff. And I, and I don't want to write off like sound baths and crystals. I mean, if you saw my bedside table right now next to me, it's filled. Um, so I don't, I don't want to write off those experiences because they are profound. I mean, I've gone into sweat lodges when I was still active in my heroin addiction and had profound spiritual experiences, but it wasn't until I was really willing to go into the darkness for a very long time that I finally was able to heal. So what kind of, you had mentioned the relationship, but what was the the path and the active steps that you took to begin that healing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to echo what you said first with just some of those other tools. It's not that they aren't useful or that they can't be beautifully comforting to us on our journey. It's simply that, like you said, in order to really do the deeper healing work, that self-acceptance work, we really have to go to the darkness. We really do have to go and meet our shame. 
we really have to go and meet our pain, right? We have to meet those defensive behaviors and those walls that we have built in order to protect ourselves from getting hurt ever again and start to make friends with those things, right? Because otherwise what we're doing is we're simply putting on a mask. We're putting on a mask for the rest of the world that says, I'm okay now, but underneath it, deep down, we're still carrying a lot of that pain and that shame. And so many of us don't actually recognize that we're carrying that until there's something big that happens. Like, so for example, for me, it was, you know, this big betrayal that happened with my, with my breakup. So everything gets taken from me. All of my money gets stolen. My cat runs away. My partner leaves with a friend. I'm left with nothing. I gain 25 pounds in a month. Um, my hormones shut down. Like my whole body crashes because I'm so triggered and all of the trauma in my body just flares up. Right. So for me, I'm like, okay, everything is gone. And now all of a sudden I'm having these flashbacks of childhood trauma that I've never had before. And I think for a lot of us, we can get by almost of our lives not really facing into some of the things that have happened to us until this big event happens. So that big event, we can think about what that might be for us or when that has happened in the past, that will open something up. And then to walk through into it, really one of the first steps to take is to find a guide. Because if we're really triggered and we have deep trauma in our bodies, you know, reading books and all of that is beautiful. It's a great thing to do on the side, but you really do need somebody to help walk you through the dark. Like you can't do it alone. I always joke, like if self-help books work, then Oprah would have healed the planet in the early 2000s with her show on every single self-help book that came through that show and was promoted and millions and millions of people um, buy them and read them. And I think it's great. Um, knowledge is power. Absolutely. But yes, you have to have somebody to work through the pain with. And I don't care if that's a shaman, you know, a spiritual guide or a therapist, you have to have that person to get you through the work with the end goal being that you become your own guru, shaman, whatever you want to call it, I think. Well, a good teacher in general will always guide you toward your inner teacher, right? A good spirit worker or a good you know, healer of any sort, if any of them portray you as somebody who has less power in the situation, run away because that's not a true teacher. You know, the the most humble and authentic teachers are going to be the ones that guide you to the truth within yourself and that are constantly reflecting back to you your own power and not just telling you what to do, but asking you what your body says and what is it that you really want to do, you know, teaching you how to contact your boundaries. So I work with a somatic experiencing therapist who who does a lot of that work and it's been profound. So I would say really be careful with who you choose and, and be okay with trying people on until you find somebody who you really feel safe with, who you trust, who, you know, treats you like an equal and who is trauma informed. And then you can begin the work. And I found for myself, because I have a very alternative way of living life in general, what I did was I worked with a transpersonal therapist. So it's like a combination of spirit plus psychology combined. I did a lot of breath work every week. uh, And I did a lot of plant medicine work. That's not really what I would suggest for everybody. Plant medicine work is very 
particular. And unless you're feeling really drawn to that and you have a supportive guide, it could be a total nightmare for you. But the point is, is that you need to take action and have somebody who's willing to take you to those places and be the guardrails because you can go really deep, really fast, but that might be too much for you. And that could actually cause you to retreat from the work altogether. So what you want is to go into some of those memories and that, that pain and that shame that you're carrying from your past in a way that feels safe and at a pace that feels gentle enough that you can handle it and that your body has time to integrate a new way of being. Right? If your nervous system is really traumatized, which mine has been, it takes a long time to rewire the nervous system to feel safe. It doesn't matter if you're actually safe. Your nervous system is wired to defend. Right, So that takes time. I think as a society, as we begin the path of healing, if the solution to the amount of um, suffering we've occurred is, I mean, we're navigating the space. This is kind of uncharted territory. But if the solution is this kind of hyper-triggered culture, which I get because I feel this feeling of like, I don't want anybody to hurt, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want anybody to hurt. But then I also know at the other hand that unless we acknowledge our hurt, we can't heal. And the reason why so much of the population is consuming substances to escape or whatever they're using to escape social media, sex, working out, whatever it might be. So if the solution to pain is to not talk about it at all or to have trigger warnings around everything, or, you know, it's like we have to get to a place where the people who have healed can share their stories within their communities or within their friends. And if it brings up something for someone else, be able to hold space for the people who feel the hurt and the pain. I don't know. It's a tricky thing. It is. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, the reality is, is a lot of that work can't really be done on social media. We can share stories and we can invite people to come deeper into our offerings or into our offices or um, direct them to places. But the healing, you know, it's just beginning when you are exposed to a new idea or a concept on social media. So I think what's happening is that uh, it's a bit of a free for all. and. There are a lot of people who simply just aren't ready to to go there yet. And that's okay. But what we need to do is begin to take a little bit more responsibility, I think, sometimes for just recognizing what we're ready for and what we're not without trying to make other people be quiet. You know, you're sharing your personal story. You're not claiming to be a psychotherapist. You're not claiming to have all of the answers. You are sharing your journey. And you are offering tools for people along the way and resources for them to find their own way. And we all have to choose what resonates with us and what doesn't. And when I put stuff out, there's a good chance that there's going to be a whole bunch of people who just aren't into it. And that's okay. But we live in this culture where it's this or that, not this and that. Mm -hmm. And we're learning how to recognize that there's no right or wrong And we can just choose what resonates with us and what doesn't. And if there's something that we're really not ready to go into, I can understand why people would get 
upset because, you know, when you're just, you know, scrolling around on social media and then all of a sudden you feel a feeling that you didn't want to feel, um, that's confronting. And so I can empathize with that a lot. And there's really no way to prevent that from ever happening in life, which is again, why we need to look at that when it happens and start to go a little deeper and ask ourselves if maybe we could go there even just 1% if we had the right support. Mm. Yeah. One of the, I, so I pulled it up on Instagram, some of my favorites, but one of the more recent posts actually said troubled children in quotes, of course, mm-hmm. or actually just sensitive children who didn't yet know how to process their big feelings. If you were ever told you were a bad kid and that's why your parents did what they did, please know this could never have been true. You were a child deserving love and protection. It was never your fault. Mm-hmm. I think about the prisons that are filled with traumatized children. Yeah. You know, and in Vancouver, where you are, the downtown east side, and all of those addicted people who were just troubled children. And I think about literally all of the troubled children who are trying to navigate this space, living on automatic pilot, not even realizing that that they deserve and can be free. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking and so that just kind of when I read that I was like I'm so glad to see you know the overwhelming response and the people that are starting to wake up to the fact that they don't have to operate like this anymore Mm -hmm. well I think so many of us were told that we were you know bad kids or troubled children and I know I was told that because like I've already explained how my mom perceived our fights when I was having tantrums when I was just a baby. And so, you know, for most of my life, she blamed me for a lot until she started to learn that that wasn't okay. And so we really internalized that early on. I think I was just doing an interview with a woman named Sarah Payton, who's the author of uh, Your Resident Self. She's a really fascinating woman. And what she was speaking about was how by four months old, an infant has already learned to match their mother's facial expression based on what their mother can be with. So we learn what's okay and what's not okay in terms of emotional expression quite quickly. And we internalize that before we're even verbal, right? So imagine four months, we're already programmed to sort of mirror our, the mother's energy. And so it's tough because we can spend our whole lives believing that what other people say and do is because we are bad or that we're not enough or that there's something wrong with us or that we're too much. Yeah. And that is sort of the dialogue that goes on inside of our minds all the time, which is why so many of us find relationships so incredibly challenging and they become dysfunctional really quickly because we are constantly taking too much responsibility for what's happening in the relationship. We think that we need to change our partner or fix our partner or save our partner all the time from everything that they're experiencing. We don't know really how to be in ourselves, really be who we are, bring ourselves fully to the table and allow our partners to do the same or allow our family members to do the same because we've been taught from very early on that we need to do some sort of dance or perform in a way that's going to get us love. Yeah. I remember when my daughter was two and a half and we were at a gymnastics class 
And um, I was sitting down with a friend and my daughter was melting, just melting down. And um, she said, I would never tolerate this behavior. She seems to cry a lot. You should go outside and spank her. I would have spanked her by now. And I thought about it for a second. And as I was journaling later on that night, or I didn't think about spanking her, but I just reflected later on that night as I was journaling. Mm how incredible it is that my children feel safe enough to melt down as much as they do because I'm such a calm parent. And that's not to say I don't lose it because yesterday was a brutal day. (laughs) And I think we had like nine tantrums before 8am and we've been quarantined in my house for over 26 days now. So my children's behavior getting uh, more and more challenging seems like a totally normal response to me. My own behavior is getting more and more challenging (laughs) the more the longer I'm in my house. Um, But what I realized is that I would have never felt safe enough in my environment to really express myself the way that my kids do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of see tantrums as challenging as they are as like a badge of honor for (laughs) being a really patient parent. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that there's not discipline in my house. It's just that discipline looks more like boundaries and explanations and getting down on their level and explaining what behavior is tolerated and, and, and what's not like hitting is absolutely, you know, we don't harm our bodies or anybody else's things like that. But so as children, yeah, we we need parents to be able to guide us. And I think it's even more challenging now that we have most of the population who has parent, both parents need to work. Mm-hmm. They're gone. They're overstressed. They feel so much pressure in the workplace. They're trying to just survive. I mean, I, I saw one of our politicians talking on The View a few months ago, and she said over 40, over 60% of the population, was it 40 or 60%? I don't know. Uh, No, 60% make less than $40,000 a year. And so you have these like chronically stressed out parents that are then coming home to children who are melting, probably because they've been overstimulated in school all day and then gone to after school programming because you know, they don't have grandparents or other people they can rely on. And I just think about the ripple effect of the way that we've been operating as a society and how unsustainable it is for our children and for us growing up. And, you know, for our, for the millennial generation who grew up with two hyper-stressed, overworked parents, or sometimes one single parent who, you know what I mean, was working 50, 60 plus hours a week, just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also this other piece around that we've been talk- going back to, which is the, the trauma piece, right? This generational trauma. So when we're in our left brain, we're just problem solving and we're analyzing and we're responding. But when we're in our right brain, that's our felt sense. And that's when we are um, empathizing and getting curious and wondering. And in order to really be a conscious and patient parent in those moments of meltdowns, which is what the child needs, they need curiosity. They don't need discipline per se, right? They're having a big feeling. What's what's happening for you right now while you're having this big feeling? That's what we want to get curious. But in order to get curious, we have to go into our felt sense. So 
we can't go into the felt sense if it's not safe there. If we go into our felt sense and we have to feel all of the feelings that we aren't ready to feel yet or that we haven't looked at, then we can't do that for our children. And this is why healing as a parent is so vital because it allows you to be able to be in that felt sense with your kids. So true. I'm also a birth doula as a passion, not as a career. You. Um, <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Another similarity. Crazy. Um, so I'm a birth doula specifically for women who are um, sexual abuse survivors. And one thing that I've said to all of my clients, along with all of the um, friends of mine who have had children, is whatever you haven't dealt with from your childhood will quickly bubble up and come to the surface when you have children. And I remember my birth and I've spoken about this. I wanted to control my birth with my first and have this peaceful home birth where no one looked or touched up my vagina Mm -hmm. because I hadn't dealt with my sexual abuse yet. And um, I ended up having a very traumatic birth in an emergency C-section because what I needed all along was to have a C-section where no one looked at my vagina. You know what I mean? Like, so but I probably could have had that peaceful home birth had I really acknowledged that that was my, that was my truth and that I could work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when my oldest daughter became the age that my sexual abuse started to occur, um, which was probably around four, but I don't have many memories of that, but specifically started having memories around five, it brought up a whole nother, like triggering to the point where like, I could not even function as I couldn't bathe her. Like I had so much stress around. I remember one time she was still in pull-ups at bed and she woke up in the middle of the night and said that her vagina was hurting. And I went into a full-blown panic attack. And so I was like, okay, there's work (laughs) that needs to be done here still, you know? And so it's like, whatever, whatever we haven't dealt with absolutely comes up because our children, I believe spiritually are like our greatest teachers and they're coming here to wake us up on a deeper level than before. If, if we're willing to do the work and if we're willing to wake up. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, you probably know Dr. Shafali. She does the conscious parenting. She wrote the conscious family and she talks a lot about how, you know, our kids are here to lead and guide us. It's, it's not really the other way around. And I think it it goes both ways, really. Like we're here to see our own edges and our own limits and to stretch ourselves to be able to hold more. And in order to hold more, again, it comes down to that self-care and that self-compassion piece. Can we be with what's in us so that we can be with what's in others? And that translates not just to parenting, but to all of our relationships. And that's why I love doing conscious relationship work and also working with couples because it is so much about the foundational relationship we have with ourselves so that we can even just extend a little bit more than we're used to, to practice letting love in, to practice trust, to practice holding space, to be curious about other people. So my understanding is that now you're either in a partnership or married. Married, yeah. What has that experience been like for you? It's been amazing, challenging, terrifying, triggering, 
and the most blissful thing in the world. It's been all the things. You know, I when I got married when I was in my mid-20s, I remember we we had a conversation about it because he was from another country and we wanted to try to work things out a little longer. But we actually both cried when we decided to get married. We didn't there was no proposal and like it wasn't a real romantic thing. It was more of an arrangement. And so after that experience, I realized, okay, that was a soul contract. That was something I really needed to go through. And then when I met Ben, who's my partner, I remember feeling this sense of like, oh, like I blew my chance at having that romantic marriage or whatever. Um, so I had to kind of work through that in my mind. And, and I did, because <laughs> um, I think, you know, a lot of us end up going through things the second time and it being a lot more real. But when, when we met, it was pretty awesome because I had been through so much already that I wasn't willing to hold anything back. So I was really clear and really direct with him right from the beginning about who I was, what I had going on, what I was healing and what I wanted. And I wasn't going to settle for anything less. And so I wasn't afraid to hear no, because I knew that I was going to have the type of relationship I wanted. And so very early on, we were having discussions about conscious relationship. And I had written him a letter of all of the things that I wanted and needed from partnership and um, what I wanted to feel, what I wanted to give, etc. And we actually began doing shadow work and practicing Tantra and conscious relationship in these um, small transpersonal therapy groups two months into our relationship. So the first four years of our relationship, we were in group therapy. <laughs> So it was pretty awesome. No, I, think it's an, I think it's just such a gift. Finding a partner who is so confident in themselves that they're willing to go to those places is, is a gift. Mm -hmm. And having someone, for me personally, that's been so patient with all of my healing. It's interesting because we talk a lot about like codependency and not depending on other people to like heal. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I've depended on Evan at all. It's just that he's been kind of like a conduit, like of just safety, like where he creates a force field that feels like safe around me for me to go and do the work mm -hmm. specifically with healing from my sexual abuse. Um, having an intimate relationship when I wasn't high, he was one of the first relationships I had sober and getting into a long-term relationship and exploring my sexuality and seeing what feels good for me and what doesn't feel good for me and feeling just like safe enough to, express those things saying I don't like kissing when we have sex because I feel like I'm suffocating to somebody is like a very intense and vulnerable thing to say and you it's such a gift to have a partner who can go okay I totally understand it has nothing to do with me and I'm holding space for you and where you're at and I can totally respect that choice mm -hmm. or that need yeah when we use the term codependence. Sometimes I feel like, yes, I mean, codependence is very real. My in-laws, they work in um, the Al-Anon structure and Ben went to rehab when he was 15. He's an addiction counselor now. So all of that totally resonates. And I think we sometimes can over pathologize where we're like, I need to do everything on my own and it's not okay to need people and it's not okay to depend on each other. And I think that it absolutely is. It's just about that healthy balance that we're looking for, which is what you and your husband have, right? It's like, you're not 
you're not expecting him to save you from your feelings or to fix you. But he's, like you said, he's creating that safety around you, that container um, in relationship so that you can go deeper. And that's true healing is when we do it in relationship, when we're connected. Again, we don't do it on our own. You know, healing is relational because wounding is relational. And I really resonate with what you're sharing around the healing of sexual trauma because that's something that I didn't really look at much until being in this marriage either. For me, it I was never really safe to, even in my previous relationships, to really go there. I, I would just have sex and then feel really bad after, or I'd go and sit in the bathroom and I would feel gross, or I would cry, or I would just feel just negativity in my body because I had all of this energy that I hadn't processed. And so with Ben, you know, we've, we've been working through that and we've been together just about five years now. And I think it was about a year and a half ago where I really went deeper. And I was like, you know, I feel that I need to move something out right now and I'm going to go deep into somatic work. Uh, but I need you to know that, you know, right now I might not be able to have sex at all. And so I think we went six months where we didn't have sex at all because I just couldn't, I couldn't handle being touched sexually. Um, and so we just, we had eye gazed and we did breath work and we did clearings and he and I would give each other massages, but he was really respectful of what I needed and he didn't push. And I felt so grateful that he was willing to hold space for me for that time and not make me feel even more guilty because I was already working through so much. And I think that's something that a lot of couples might need to do together, but don't know how. And um, there's so many of us that do have sexual trauma and then we feel pressure to have sex when we don't want to and our partners don't get it. And that's a whole other conversation, but just having that support and that mutual understanding is, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really a gift when, um, when we get to a space where we don't take everything personally and where, you know, and, and even for Evan, he's had moments where he's been extremely stressed at work or whatever it might be. And he's just like, I just can't be intimate right now. And I need to go sleep downstairs and like be by myself and just unwind. And I'm like, you know, the old Alexis would have taken that so personally, like, why are you shutting me out? And, you know, all of these, this, psycho babble drama that I would have created in my head. And thankfully now I just really understand that, yeah, it has nothing to do with me. Um, and it's okay. And I can totally hold space for that and still comfort myself. You know, that used to bring up feelings of like rejection and unworthiness. Mm -hmm. Now it's just like, no, it doesn't have anything to do with you. And what a great opportunity to like take a bath and do a meditation without headphones on in bed <laughs> and have some like personal space myself. Yeah, we need that personal space and that time. And when we get into a relationship and we see our partner, I call this a battery relationship where, you know, we see our partner as somebody who's meant to give to us all the time and just like charge us with certain type of energy and meet our needs and all of those things. Yes, we do want that from a partner and they're their own person with their own needs. And sometimes those needs conflict, especially if you're both being authentic, you're not always going to want the same things at the same time. In fact, most of the time you won't. And so I think a mature relationship really comes down to allowing both people to honor themselves and their needs 
and to support each other in getting that. So my partner right now, he's on a, a special Peruvian plant medicine diet. So we're not eating the same meals. We don't sleep in the same bedroom. Uh, we can't have sex. It's very restrictive for like the next month and a half. And a lot of people are like, are you okay with that? And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, it's for me, I love supporting my partner in pursuing a path that feels like a spiritual devotional path for him. It's great for me because I get to just do my own thing and enjoy my independence. But also it's seeing my partner as somebody who I want to invest in instead of somebody who's just always meant to give to me. Right. So when I think about him pursuing his spiritual path, sure, it's not as convenient. You know, there's fun things that we get to miss out on for a little bit. Um, But the flip side of it is that he's growing himself spiritually. And what a gift that is for me to share in that, you know, as he grows. So really releasing this idea that our partners having their own lives or having their own needs is a rejection or abandonment. um, That's important work if we want to go deep together. Yeah. Wow. Well, I could trail down the whole conversation around plant medicine, which we've done several times on this podcast with you for an hour, another hour, (laughs) but it's been almost an hour. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience and can you please let everyone know where they can find you and you guys I'll have all of her information in the show notes too perfect yeah the website is risingwoman.com and on instagram we're at risingwoman and we have some free downloads there we have a mystic moon calendar we have a healing your inner child meditation and you can find out all of our book lists as well on our website so Lots of good resources. Love that. Well, thank you so much. This week's affirmation is, everything I seek can be found within. I am committed to taking the time to search my soul. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 